Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. this morning is entitled Let Your Joy Be Heard. I feel like we're off to a a pretty good start with that this morning. And uh, we're going to keep this going into the afternoon. As we dismiss today, I want to invite everybody down to Thompson Park to the river for some river baptisms. We're going to dismiss from church and try and get those kicked off by about 1230. Give everybody some time to get over to the park and get over to the river bank. And if you don't know where Thompson Park is, uh, shame on you. you. You're from Barberville. You should know where this is at. It's over on South 11, just outside of town, across the old river bridge, we call it. And there's, if you go around to the backside of Thompson Park, there's actually a really nice boat ramp. And there's a good place where everybody should be able to stand on the bank without going over the bank and see these, these baptisms. So invite everybody out to participate in this. Last week, we saw... In the book of Nehemiah, some of his just incredible leadership. And Nehemiah is one of my personal favorite characters. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And, and Nehemiah is such an interesting person because he's, he's a, a big character in the Bible, but he's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He wasn't a, a king. He was really just an ordinary man who had been successful and was put into this place of authority. And he had a love for God. He had a love for people. He had integrity. And he's given the authority to go and lead the people and govern the people to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And we talked a little bit about that last week and how not only did he lead them that way, but he led them spiritually to repent from mistreating one another. And that's kind of the focus from last week. And then from that moment forward, Nehemiah leads the people to get that incredible job done of rebuilding those those city walls, rebuilding those gates, and getting God's holy city back in order. Finally, all of that work is complete. And and again, it's one of those big moments in the Bible where the, the city that once laid in ruins, right, was back. They literally rebuilt it piece by piece. And then you think, well, such an occasion certainly calls for celebration. We've got the temple rebuilt. Under Ezra, we've got the city rebuilt under Nehemiah, the holy city, all its gates, all its walls. Of course, the hearts of the people were filled with joy because they'd faced opposition. They'd had to to have a shovel in one hand and and a a weapon in the other as they went about this work. And now they're just filled with joy at what God has done through them. And that takes us to Jeremiah chapter 12. And we're going to read Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 31 through 43. They're ready to party. Says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks. One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. Hoshea, there's a lot of really cool names in this passage I've been practicing all week. Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah followed, along with Azra. Ariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shimei, Jeremiah, and some of the priests' sons with trumpets, and Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shimei, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zechor, son of Asaph. 
follow. See, I told you, I worked on it. <laughs> as well as his relatives, Shimei, Azarel, Milei, Gilei, Mei, Nathanael, Judah, and Hananiah, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Ezra the scribe went in front of them. At the fountain gate, they climbed the steps of the city of David on the ascent of the wall and went above the house of David to the water gate on the east. And that, that right there, just that picture of them climbing those steps makes me think about what David wrote. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? The second Thanksgiving procession went to the left and I followed it with half the people along the top of the wall, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, above the Ephraim gate and by the old gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. They stopped at the gate of the guard. The two thanksgiving processions stood in the house of God. So did I and half of the officials accompanying me, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maaseiah, many of men, Micaiah, Eliani, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maaseiah, Shimei, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. Then the singers sang with Jezrahiah as the leader. And then notice how this chapter ends. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. I just feel like I've spoken in tongues in front of the Baptist church this morning, reading all those names. Isn't that amazing? I read all of that for this reason, though. When you begin to read through that and begin to picture all this in your mind, it's hard to wrap your mind around the sight and the sound of all these people marching around this holy city, shouting and singing and playing instruments and just praising God. And that phrase at the end always stood out to me in this passage was that Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. And so this morning, that's my challenge to us, is to let your joy be heard. Let it be seen. Let it be known that you have joy in your heart because of what Christ has done for you. There's, joy is something we could talk a lot about. It's much deeper than happiness. It's much more lasting than an emotion that comes and goes. But the first truth about real joy that we learn from the Bible and from Nehemiah even, is that my joy comes from my Savior. I want to spend a little time on this one because this is so important. Nehemiah says the people did these things. They offered these great sacrifices. They rejoiced. Why? Because God had given them great joy. It literally came from the Lord. It wasn't something that they they'd conjured up themselves. It wasn't just something experiential that they, that they experienced by celebrating what God had done. It was actually a gift that came from God, found in God Himself. And one of the greatest life lessons that you'll, you'll ever be able to learn, if you just, just take this in for just a moment, is coming to the realization that the only place you're going to find true joy, the only place that you'll ever find true satisfaction in life, the only place that you will ever not be wanting something more is in God Himself. 
Now, how do I know that? Well, I know because I know that everything else in life is going to leave you wanting something more. That you will never be completely satisfied with wealth. You'll never be satisfied with just another person. You'll never be satisfied with a long list of accomplishments. You'll never be wholly satisfied with whatever substance you choose to put into your body. You'll always want something more until you find that satisfaction in your Creator. Because your Creator designed you to long for Him and to be completely satisfied in Him. St. Augustine, in these, these deep thoughts and in his confessions, he came to this conclusion. And he wrote this, he said, Great are you, Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. So we men who are due part of your creation long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us, carry the evidence of our sin and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. And notice what he says. He says, you arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy. In other words, you've put something in my heart that my heart finds satisfaction in when I glorify and praise you because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Maybe you've longed for real joy. Maybe you've been looking for something that, that can't be taken from you. Maybe you've been looking for something that was just so real and so soul-satisfying. And, and maybe you've tried to find that in different places and maybe even in different people. And what you need to realize this morning is just what Augustine said, that your soul will only ever find its rest and its fulfillment in your Savior. Nowhere else. Nobody else. And I want to camp out here just a minute because I think culturally it's this is so ingrained in who we are today. We tell ourselves that we can create our own joy, don't we? That if we do enough of this or we get enough of this, that somehow we'll find what it is that we're looking for. But listen, the, the, the wisest man that ever walked the face of this earth found out that wasn't the case. And King Solomon wrote, and I want to read his words to you. He tried everything the world had to offer. And he had everything this world had to offer. And here's what he found out. He said, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. This is in the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way. He said, I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a, a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the, the delights of men, he says. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. And here's how he concludes this. He says, when I considered all that I had accomplished and, all, and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
In other words, he says, everything that I tried, everything that I accomplished, everything that I did for myself left me with nothing. It was all like chasing the wind. And the reason for that is because you will only find that satisfaction and that joy in God himself. Secondly, we learn from Nehemiah is that my joy is my strength. And I think it's interesting how this, this line popped up in some of our songs and different things this morning. We didn't even plan that out. But you look at the story of these people and you see how they've, they've reached this, again, another pivotal moment in their history. And they've been harassed by the nations around them. They've been enslaved. They've been conquered and taken into exile. They've suffered even the consequences of their own sin. And now they make it back to their homeland. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the city. And you wonder, how did this ragtag group of people accomplish all this and not just be smoked out? How can someone keep pressing forward time and time again when all the odds are stacked against them and you face upset after upset and setback after setback? Maybe you can relate to that this morning. How does somebody do that? Well, it wasn't just their resolve. It certainly wasn't their wealth or their military might. It's something that the supernatural that comes from God. And all the way back in Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah has Ezra read the law to God's people. And they'd forgotten about what all was in there. And as Ezra reads the law to God's people, they began to realize again just how sinful they are. And they began to realize how their sinfulness brought upon themselves many of the things that they had suffered. And so Nehemiah tells them, finally, he says, listen, don't weep. Don't mourn about this. And he says something remarkable. He says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, we may be weak and we may be broken and we may suffer like they did the consequences of our own sinful choices or even the consequences of our sinful ancestors as they did. But the point is, have joy because that joy is the thing that's going to get you through. It's not going to be your willpower. It's not going to be your resolve. It's going to be joy. I think joy is, is, is one of the very first things the devil tries to take from us. Because I think the devil realizes just how powerful the joy of a Christian actually is. And so when you take one step forward and you get knocked down, not two steps back, lean into that joy. Because here's the thing, the, the devil can take your stuff. Let him have it. And I think back to Job, the devil can even have those close relationships. Let him have them. The devil can take your health, but the devil cannot steal your joy unless you give it to him. One of the greatest strongholds, one of the greatest defenses, and actually that word is sometimes translated stronghold. One of the greatest defenses that you have against an attack that comes from the devil is the joy that comes from the Lord. So hang on to that joy. Lean into that joy. Find your strength for whatever tomorrow may hold in the joy of the Lord. Thirdly, we see that my joy grows in my sacrifice. Now that seems counterintuitive. But these people had already poured so much into God's work. You remember when we talked about how much uh, in the book of Ezra, how much money these people actually gave to rebuilding the temple? So now they've given to rebuilding the temple and, and, and also rebuilding the walls and the gates. Not only material things, but they've given their time. They've given themselves. And now in this culminating celebration, they don't just give more stuff, but the Bible says they give great 
sacrifices. They took whatever was left and gave above and beyond to the Lord. Nehemiah tells us they don't do so begrudgingly, but how? They rejoice in these sacrifices. Again, because God has given them great joy. And I just want to leave you with a principle in this matter right quick. I believe with all my heart that God honors the physical sacrifice in some spiritual way. We'll get you on that later, but God honors your physical sacrifice in some spiritual way. I can assure you that. I heard a story about two wealthy Christians, one a lawyer, one a businessman, and they were uh, traveling through the different parts of the world. They were traveling through this one particular Asian country, and as they traveled, they looked out the window and, and saw... Uh, I, I, everybody wants to cry too, buddy. It's all right. We'll be done in a minute. But they looked out, they were in, in this, this, this bus going down the road, and they look out and they see this, this kid pulling a plow in a field, and an older man driving the plow. And at first, your first thought's like, man, that poor kid, right? Uh, some kind of abuse going on. But they realized that this wasn't an abusive thing. They were, they were actually kind of amused, and they began to pull their phones out and take pictures, and they thought, man... These people must be super poor. And they actually had a missionary that was serving as their guide and interpreter on this trip. And they asked him, they said, hey, that, this is a weird situation. Are they doing this because they're so poor and they, they literally have to just, just have the children pull the plow? Is that what's going on? And the missionary said, well, actually, this is the family of she knew. And last year, the, the church was building a building. And they wanted to give to the work that God was doing, but they didn't have any money to give. But they did have an old ox that pulled their plow. And so they took that ox and they sold that ox and then took the money from the sale of the ox and gave that to the church. And so now this season, they have to pull the plow by themselves. And they thought, man, seems like a really big sacrifice. And the missionary said, you know, they don't look at it that way. They thought they were fortunate to have an ox to sell in order to give to what God was wanting to do. And they have joy out there in that field, pulling that plow by themselves. We're called as followers of Christ to live sacrificially. And so how are you doing that day to day? How are you being generous with your time and your talents and your treasures but then that's part of it. But also realize that, that living sacrificially doesn't just mean giving up your stuff. It also means being obedient to whatever it is God wants you to do. It means being, as the Bible says, a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to the Lord. And maybe you don't feel too holy and pleasing to the Lord some days. And so here's, here's how this last one ties into this. The last lesson we learned this morning is that my joy is experienced in my salvation. In Nehemiah, God is 
pictured as the one who takes the pieces of your life, all these torn down and broken walls, all these messes, and He's the one that's able to recreate them, not only rebuild them, but recreate them and do something that is so much better than whatever was before. And I think it's a joyful thing when you come to the Lord with all these pieces and all these messes and then surrender to Him. You say, Lord, just just take what it is that, that I've got and do with it whatever You will. And then the Lord takes whatever you have, all your stuff and all your junk, and He takes those ashes of what once were, and He turns them into something beautiful. That in itself is a joyful occasion. The Bible actually says there is joy among God's angels when a sinner repents. And I would propose to you that you can't experience true joy in your life apart from salvation in the Lord. Again, you can look wherever you want to, but you're not going to find it. There are going to be high moments in life. There are going to be things in life that make you happy for a season, but you'll never experience true, biblical, lasting, heavenly joy apart from Him. You'll only find that joy in the Lord. So maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you've tried everything else that life has to offer, and that's why you're here this morning. That's why you're tuned in online, because you're not feeling uh, what you long for. And you can have that in the Lord. Maybe you're like Solomon and you've tried work and you've tried relationships and you've tried success and you've tried stuff. Maybe you've even tried church and churches let you down. Well, this morning you need to try Jesus because He won't let you down. And I'll give you a two for one deal. If you say yes to Jesus this morning, we'll take you right down to the river right after church and put you in the water. <laughs> but maybe also this morning you're, you are a Christian and you've got Jesus. But over time, life and circumstances and choices have robbed you of some of that joy that you once had. Maybe things have happened to you. Things have just taken a toll on the joy of the Lord in your life. I would challenge you with this. This morning, I want you to pray a prayer like King David prayed himself. And he said, Lord, would you simply restore to me the joy of of my salvation. Lord, take me back to when things were simple with me and you. Take me back to that time when I was close to you, when I could hear your voice, when I could feel your presence in my life, when I could sense the Holy Spirit at work because Lord, I won't find that joy anywhere else. So restore to me, God, to that moment in my life. And if that's you this morning, as we get ready to sing a song, why don't you come as we sing? Let's stand together as we pray. Father, what a joy it is to be in your house this morning. God, you've brought all of us here, maybe for a different reason. God, there's no coincidence that we're here in this place today. And so, Father, I pray this morning, if, if someone's here and they, and they simply need you, God, maybe they've looked to everything else in the world and everything else in life to find the fulfillment that they're longing for, and today they realize they need Jesus. God, I pray you'd give them the faith, first of all, to take that step and to come to you. Father, maybe there's someone here that over time life has simply just beat us up a little bit. And we long to have that true joy in our life again. God, I pray that this morning you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, of what it really feels like to walk with our Lord. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your grace, for your patience with us. God, we thank you 
Father, that you loved each and every one of us enough to send your son Jesus to die for us, that we could have a relationship with God. And Lord, if there's someone here that needs that this morning, I pray they'd make that decision. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this morning, if you need to come and just talk to God and pray, you're more than welcome. If you need to be saved, you need Jesus this morning, why don't you come as we sing? Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.